You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. Maybe uh, this week you're going through it and you're struggling and you're waiting uh, for the doctor to return test results. And your hope is that those test results are going to be okay and you're going to be okay. Um, maybe your hope is in the uh, course you're trying to get in at school and haven't been able to get in yet and you've been working at it and you're hoping that's uh, going to work out. Or, or maybe your hope is in a person and, and you came into church this morning and you saw them across the room and, and there you are as a single and you go, I hope he sees me or I hope she sees me. Um, I don't know. Where's your hope? Maybe you're really desperate and your hope is in the Toronto Maple Leafs. And you're hoping they will win the Stanley Cup this year. Or maybe not even that high a hope. Maybe they just won't go 0-3 tonight. And uh, people have hope in all kinds of things. And those things on a human level are fine and we learn about them. But uh, where's the reality of our hope? Where is our trust really found? Um, The psalmist wrote in Psalm 20, verse 7, Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And that's the foundation. That's the rock that will not move. I trust you've got your Bibles open now. Let's stand together. We want to honor God as we read from his word. First uh, Peter chapter 1. I'm going to start to read at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, Though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophet who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today and this passage that uh, Peter wrote to the church that was scattered. um, Father, to encourage their hearts as they would suffer, they were going to go through trials. And and Lord, we uh, take a look today and understand through your word what the living hope is that will carry us through the journey that will help us on the path. So, Lord, give us ears that we would hear your word, minds, God, that we could understand what you're saying. And then, Father, would you build in us a heart and a passion to live out for your fame the things we learn from your word today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, again, let's just dive right into the text. And the first thing I want us to see is the word trusting. God is awesome. Trusting 
God is awesome. Back at verses three to five, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Uh, He starts and just kind of, that first sentence just kind of builds back to what we saw last week. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we uh, saw last week the uh, working of the Trinity in our hearts and in our lives. But he, he dives right into the next part. He says, according to his great mercy. According to his great mercy. A mercy by definition is not getting what I deserve. Not getting what I deserve. A grace, by definition, is getting what I don't deserve. For by grace are you saved through faith. Getting what I don't deserve. But he starts out in the text and he says, according to his great mercy. Not getting what I deserve. According to God's not pouring out on you what you really deserve to get. Separation from God. Eternity in hell. No answer to life's struggles and life's problems. No hope. That's what should be poured out on every one of us as we are separated from God, but he's so not like that. And so it's interesting in the text, he says, according to his great mercy, not getting what I I deserve, but then he goes on and he just pours out all kinds of grace. You're not getting what you deserve, but you're getting what you don't deserve. And he lays out a number of them that we're going to see in a minute. But I want to go back to one foundational thought before we go there. And that's found in verse 3, the last part. Born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. All of this, all of this hinges on the finished work of Jesus Christ. On his coming on his being the sacrifice that was the perfect sacrifice, on his hanging on a cross, being the payment, the shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. The spotless lamb shed his blood on a cross, and he died. But if Christ doesn't rise from the dead, it's all in vain. It's all in vain. Uh, We are most foolish people in the world if there is no resurrection. And so Peter says it this way, born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus Christ not only suffered and died and paid the price, he rose again as the receipt that the finished work on our behalf. And now, and now the living Savior sits at the right hand of God interceding on our behalf. So don't let that go by because that's a crucial piece to this living hope. Every other religion, the founder, the followers, they're all dead. They're all dead. But Jesus Christ is alive. You can't go and visit his tomb and find him there. The rock is gone because Christ is risen from the dead. The resurrection is true. And so when when Peter writes here, he makes sure that we understand that. That's so foundational for us. Well, then he goes on, and in this trusting, because God is awesome, he, he talks about some things right in the text. He says, here's the first one. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. He's caused us to be born again. In John 3, in verse 3, it says, you must be born again. You must have a new life. We must get another opportunity, a second chance 
There are all kinds of different words that would be used in Scripture that would be parallel to being born again. But the reality is you're dead, and he makes you alive. So what are some of those words? Well, we would use words like you're saved, or you trust Christ, or you've been redeemed or bought back, or you have become a Christian, or you have believed, or you are regenerated, or you have been rescued, or in that salvation moment you have been justified, that legal transaction that made you just like you have never sinned, or you are a, you have a new life, or you are a new creation. All of those words, all of those words are virtually synonyms for what he's saying here that you must be born again. And God did that work in his mercy and in his grace through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The offer is made, you must be born again. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. I read this definition this week. A born-again Christian is someone who has repented of their sins and turned to Christ for their salvation, right? It's not in our works. It's not in what we try to do. It's not in how much I can accomplish. That's worthless. That never got anyone, never will get anyone to God. A born-again Christian is someone who has repented of their sins and turned to Christ for their salvation and as a result has become part of God's family forever. All of this took place as God's spirit works in our lives. You who are dead in your trespasses and sins, he has made alive. Trusting, I have been born again because God is awesome. Have you? Are you a born again follower of Jesus Christ? Have you trusted in Christ alone for your salvation? Not you, and God's work, but him alone. For God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ the Lord. God is awesome. I've been born again. His mercy, his grace, poured out on me in the finished work of the resurrected Jesus Christ, the Lord. Trusting because God is awesome, I've been born again. Now here's another thing he talks about in the text. He talks about the, the living hope. Born again to a living hope. To a living hope. I like the way he says that. It, it's not a hope that's someday. It's not about something that's still to come, although it is, and we're gonna see that in just a moment. But the hope we have is for today. The hope we have is for the journey we're going through right now. See, we're trusting God. He's gonna lay out in 1 Peter all kinds of struggles and all kinds of hurt and all kinds of things that these people are gonna go through. They're already called the sojourners, the exiles. This world is not our home. We have a, 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 um, a citizenship that's in heaven. That's all coming. But the, the hope we have today is a living hope. It's the hope that will help you as you go through those things that I talked about at the beginning. It's the hope that will help you when you face the test. It's the hope that will encourage you when you're working through the job thing or when family seems to go south. It's a, it's a living hope. What Christ promises to do is for today. The hope we have is a living hope. It's not just for what will come. 
It's not a dead faith that comes alive when we get to heaven. It's living and it's active and it's right now. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's found in 1 Peter 2 and verse 9. Born again, a living hope. Here's the next one, an inheritance. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading. This, uh, this inheritance we have is so amazing that he can't even describe it. As a matter of fact, the three words he uses are kind of, they're in the negative. Um, th- there's no words to describe all that we have. All that has been poured out for us. All that we have in the inheritance. Not only on this earth, but, it, but what is to come. And, and now the focus is moving more towards that. And, and so he uses uh, three words. He says, it's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. The word imperishable means it's never going away. It's never going away. It's not going to rot. I couldn't help but think of um, the other day I was uh, going into the back, the depths of our fridge in the uh, vegetable drawer. And um, there were some things that perished in there. Uh, Imperishable. See, he can't even explain it. He's just like, no, I just know it's never going away. It's never going to fade away. And I'm pulling the drawer open and taking out some lowly cucumbers that long ago went to cucumber heaven or wherever cucumbers go. And they had given up their life. And, uh, and it got the paper towel out of it because it was perishing. It's perishing. We're going to be like that. But not in eternity. What eternity has is imperishable. And then as he goes on to describe it, he says it's undefiled. It's undefiled. It's, it's not going to be corrupted. It's going to remain pure. It's not like the corruption that we find in our government. It's not going to let us down. We're not going to be deceived by it. The promises are true. Um, when I think about undefiled and not corrupted, I, two kind of things came to my mind. The first one was when I thought about metal and uh, how it, it breaks down and how it it gets corrupted. Um, on Friday afternoon, I went to a close our garage door and I pushed the button. We don't actually lift in garage doors anymore. For those of you who don't know, we used to open and close garage doors with our hands. Now we just push buttons. Well, I pushed the button and the door got about three quarters of the way down. There was this bam! And the, one of the wheels popped off. And I went, wow, that's weird. How did that happen? So I'm out there. We get the ladder out and I'm up the ladder. And uh, I'm thinking if we just kind of torque this around a little bit, I can't do that by myself. So get out here, get, get a hammer and get a pair of pliers. Well, the hammer was downstairs. So we just got a hatchet because it's, you know, it, I didn't know any better. And so, um, and so I'm climbed up on the good side of the ladder because I'm a little bit bigger. And, and I got her climbing up on the other side of the ladder. And, uh, and uh, she's got the pliers and she's kind of torquing the thing through. And I put the wheel up and just bam with the, and I managed to pop the wheel back in. And uh, so we push the button and it goes back down and the wheel didn't pop out, but it's like, bam, again, I go, okay, something's wrong. So I walk out and I see the cable from the one side laying, well, it was actually, it was all wound up in the, in the top and pulled it out and it's now laying on the floor and my garage door is broken. And uh, Friday afternoon of the long weekend at 4.15, I'm like, oh, it's not good. But we called and a guy came within an hour and 
the cable broke off. Why? Because, well, the salt and the water had been in the cable at the bottom and it had been corrupted and it failed. Heaven will never do that. Heaven will never do that. It's not going to be corrupted. I can't help but think of the leaves. Uh, we're heading to uh, Muskoka this afternoon to see some of the beauty of God's creation. And, but those leaves turn red and beautiful and yellow because they're corrupted and they're dying. And uh, that smell that you have in Muskoka is really death and destruction. It really, it's, it smells good, but it's, it's what it is, right? Heaven's not going to be like that. The leaves aren't going to fall off the trees and die on the ground. It's not going to be like that. And then he gives one more picture and he says, uh, it's not going to fade away. It's not going to fade away. It's not going to be like when you uh, move the uh, rug in the middle of your floor that the sun has been shining in there for 10 years and you just see how much things have faded. It's not going to be like that. We trust God because we're born again. We have a living hope. We have an inheritance that's to come that will not perish. It is not defiled and it will never fade away. And then one more thing, he promises them. He says, um, it's kept for you in heaven who by God's power are being guarded. I trust God because my life is being guarded. Um, There's no need for the word guarded if we're not in any danger. There's no need to use the word guard if, if, if there was just like, well, life just goes on. You don't need to worry about anything. And, and he's going to tell us in this book later on as we go along, there are going to be struggles and there are going to be trials. And, and we need to be guarded. We need to be guarded from the things that are from without and the pressures that will come on us. And I will guard you. God promises that. Things from without, from the spiritual forces that come and the evil one who seeks to tear down and destroy in your life. God promises he will guard you. And then from the things that are from within, from your own heart. I I so often find Christians and they, they like to say, it's either from God or it's from Satan. It's either from God or it's from Satan. How about it's from you? Right? Quit blaming Satan for everything that goes wrong in your life. Sometimes it's just you. You want what you want. And God promises, I'll guard you even from yourself in those things. Trusting because God is awesome. All of that foundation is so necessary because of the next thing we want to see in verses six and seven, and that is testing, it is inevitable. Testing, it is inevitable. In this you rejoice, thou, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Testing, it's inevitable. It comes in Many different forms. We're going to see some things about testing this morning. We're going to learn a lot more about it uh, later on in Peter. But um, when we think about testing, we, we think about words like um, trials and temptations. And sometimes those words are interchangeable and other times they aren't. We're ne- um, God tests us. Uh, God never tempts us. But the principles that are there to help us through will help us through both of those things. But primarily in Peter as he's talking, he's talking about the trials that come to us in our lives. Hey, the psalmist understood it. One of the, the greatest psalms is Psalm 46. So keep your finger in First Peter and just flip back to Psalm 46 for a second. 
Because this is a, a, a psalm where we really generally focus in on two verses. We focus in on God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And then we focus in on be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And those are amazing verses and you should know them and know where they're found. But why was he writing Psalm 46? He's writing Psalm 46 because all kinds of trials are before him. All kinds of things he's facing. Look what it says back to the beginning. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Verse six, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. Verse 9, he makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariot with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. You see, David, the psalmist, he understood that testing is coming and that testing is inevitable. And so if we're going to be able to go through these things, if we're going to be able to face these things in our lives, how is that going to be possible? Well, here's the, here's the way it's going to be possible is through having a right foundation. Having a right foundation. He says in verse six, the very first word, he says, in this you rejoice. In this you rejoice. In what do I rejoice? In, in the salvation that I have, in the hope that I have, in the finished work of Jesus Christ that I have, in the what I'm looking forward to in eternity. That's what I have. That's what I'm looking for. In this, in this, I can even rejoice. The joy we have in Christ is the reason that we can go through the difficult seasons. Christ in me, the hope of glory. I can even rejoice in those things. Sue and I have been going through a journey the last 12 days, actually more than 12 days now, but really kind of focused in on the last 12 days. Her dad's been in the hospital. It was just a couple months ago. He was sitting in the front row of church every week, and he's going through this as well. And uh, um, his health is in decline and uh, hasn't been good. And I don't think he's going to see Jesus for a while, but he's been in the hospital for 12 days and it's, it's hard. It's difficult. And uh, now let me tell you, the church has been amazing. I've been making public announcements, but like anybody else in the church, the elders have been praying for us. The, for me, the staff have been praying for us. Our small group has been amazing for us and supporting and encouraging and helping us and so thankful for that. But we're going through a tough time. But we rejoice. We lean in because of who God is and what God has done because of his faithfulness because of his working, that we can say we rejoice in this. Hey, we know that one day Sue's dad's going to heaven. If anybody's going to heaven, her dad is going to heaven. Uh, there's a man who loves the Lord Jesus Christ, has been a faithful evangelist for the Lord, prays for us all of the time. It's not about his works. It's all about his salvation. And we rejoice because we look forward even for him, which what will come one day. But it doesn't mean it's not hard right now. It doesn't mean it's not difficult right now. And, and so we choose to rejoice in the difficult circumstance, to find joy. So what is joy? 
Um, I like James McDonald's um, definition of joy. If you don't know it, you could write it down. It's just one line. Joy is a supernatural delight in the person of God, the purposes of God, and the people of God. It's a supernatural delight in the person of God, the purposes of God, and the people of God. I choose joy. I like this one as well. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. You hear that? Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is in his hands. And the determined choice to praise God in every situation. Lord, I will trust you. I will put my hope in you, the living hope. The foundation of how we go through the difficult things is the fact that we can rejoice in the finished work of Christ in us and that God, God is ultimately in control. So what are some things about the trials that we will face? Here's some real quick. First thing is that they're varied. A trial's coming in all kinds of different ways. Not just one way they come. Trials can come through uh, the physical. Trials can come, you fall down, you break your ankle, or you, you know, something happens, a rash breaks out, or there can be physical things. You burn your hand on the stove. There's, it's a trial, and it comes. Trials can come through, uh, through mental, through the stresses that we face and the decisions that we have to make and the things they pile on and you're trying to figure it out and, and it can be a trial. Uh, trials can come through social. It could be uh, through your neighbor or through your family members or through a coworker and, and through that um, interaction you have with them. The, the trials can come. Trials can come through our emotions as we see things and are moved by them. And, and then trials can be spiritual. Uh, they can be a, an attack from the evil one. Uh, they can be our own hard-heartedness. They can be something that allow the Lord is testing us in so that we will be stronger and committed to him as we move forward. Trials are varied. Here's the next thing. Trials are inevitable. They're inevitable. All God's children get trials. No one is immune from them. All God's kids get it. And so if you're in a phrase of your life right now where everything is just tickety-boo and it is going along sweet, well, good for you, but get ready because it's coming. Everybody gets trials. The rains fall on the just and the unjust. There's no one who is immune from trials. And so if you're going through them, you might think, man, I'm really getting it right now. Well, you just look at the person beside you. They're getting it too. They may be getting it in a totally different way. It may not be as severe as yours is right now, but to you, to them, it's their trial and they're wrestling with it. And you might look at their thing and you go, that's easy. I could fix that. Well, the, it's not your trial. And uh, all God's kids get them. We all will face trials. No one is immune from them. They are inevitable. Told you we're coming back to some teaching on this. A lot of it will come out of 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 in 1 Peter 4. It says, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. Ding. Don't be surprised when it comes. It's coming. 
The trial is coming. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Oh my goodness, I'm the only one who is being tried. No, no, we all are. It's just in different ways. I, I gave you the illustration of a thing we're going through right now. You, we could stand up in this room, probably 200 people here, and 200 different stories of trials that you're going through right now. Don't be surprised as though it's something strange that were happening to you, but rejoice. There it is, the joy part. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering so that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Trials are varied. Trials are inevitable. Trials have a product or a products. They produce some things in our lives. And so the first one I want to make sure we don't um, forget about, because I could, I could just go to like, here's really four or five really good things that trials produce. And it will true. We'll get to those in a second. But here's one you need to see. Testing in trials produces failure. It does. Every one of us is witness to that. We've been tried in something and we failed. We failed the test. It came and I should have done differently, but I didn't. And I failed. And I had to go and apologize to someone or I had to go and confess my sin to someone or I had to get on my knees before God. And sometimes the trial, when it first comes, it produces failure. Not, not eternal failure, not failure that is final, but Let's not live in a world where we think that Christians are perfect and we never blow it and we, hey, I mess up every, every day in some way. And so the trials that we face, sometimes we fail in them and then we get right with God. That's the great hope we have. It's not stuck forever. It's not like that we're in a state of failure, but if you're going through a thing and you're not handling it well, yeah, you're, you know what you are? New normal. That's what you are. And so now let's, let's change the course and let's get right with the Lord and let's choose a different path and let's choose joy instead of a grumpiness. Let's choose joy instead of anger. Let's choose joy instead of woe is me. Let's choose to forgive instead of holding on to. But sometimes when we're tried, we fail. But here's the great news. Trials produce some really great things too. Uh, James 1, 2 to 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That's one of the things that comes out of trials. One of the things that comes out of testing is a steadfastness, a stick to it, a I'm not giving up. And that verse goes on and says, And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. Trials require us to remain under so that we can learn steadfastness. See, so often in our lives, a trial comes or a testing comes and we try and squirm out of it. We try and sidestep it. We try and find our way. Maybe as I'm talking, you can think about that in your own life. Hey, let me tell you this. If God is teaching you something in it, you can squirm all you want. You're going to learn the lesson. It's just coming back again. Because if it's a thing that God is trying to teach you for your character to help you in your family and every time it comes up, you squirm out of it somehow. It's gonna keep on coming until you learn what God is teaching you. And so we remain under in the trial so that God can teach us and we come to steadfastness. And another thing that comes out of trials is sanctification. Becoming more holy, becoming pure, 
moving forward in our walk. It really happens through trials. The best growth you'll ever have is when you go through a difficult thing. It produces an example. Paul could say, be followers of me as I am of Christ. That guy blows me away. He's, like, he's in prison when he's writing this stuff. And, uh, and he's not complaining and he's not moping and he's not... When we remain under, when we learn in the trial... We become an example to the people who are around us. And so in your small group, when people see you going through a difficult thing and you've asked them to pray for you, but they see you leaning in, they see you trusting the Lord, they see you asking for help, receiving help, they see all of those things. You become an example. It also will um, refine you, make you more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's the suffering he talks about back in First Peter, but... Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. It refines us. And suffering proves our faith. When we go through the trial, when we go through the temptation, when we go through the hard time, it demonstrates my faith is not in me. My hope is not in what I have. My trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where my hope is. It proves our faith. God help us. Here's one of the coolest things about trials and testings, and that is there are limits. There are limits. God's never going to allow the trial, the testing, the pain, the hurt to come. Be careful, listen. All kinds of them are going to come that you can't handle. Okay? All kinds of them. They're going to come and you can't handle them. Sue watching her dad, it's too much. It's too much. But there are limits. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation or trial has overtaken you that's not common to man. But God is faithful, and he will not let you tempted beyond your ability, but will with the trial, the temptation, the testing, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God is going to go through you, with you, through whatever the trial is. That's his promise that's a great hope. With God's help, we are conquerors in the trial. Well, back into First Peter now, and uh, verse 7, the, the last part of it, he says, um, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though it's tested by, by fire, we see that verse and it talks about gold. And, and, and if you're like me, when I first read it, it's like, well, you know, that's the picture of, you know, the smelting of gold and they heat it up and they get it really hot and, and, the, and the dross all comes to the top and they skim it off and what's left is pure, right? That's an illustration that's used in scripture and it's a great illustration of God's working in our lives. But it's not what this verse is about. This verse isn't about that. Look what it says. It's talking about your faith and how valuable your faith is so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes. All the things we have, all the things that, that are ours on this earth, the most valuable thing they understood is gold. It perishes. You're not taking it with you. It's not going with us. What's going with us? Our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done and the testing of our faith that refines us that's what will 
go with us. That's what we will carry forward. What we are learning through the trials, what we will learn through the testing is way more valuable than an ounce of gold or a pound of gold or a ton of gold because it's not going with us. Isaiah 43, 2 says, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. Hey, real quick, let's take a look at verses, the end of verse seven and to verse nine. And that's the triumphant promises that are delivered. At the end of the verse nine, he talks about when we go through these things, we will bring praise and glory and honor to God. And so when you're going through the journey, is your focus on giving God praise and understanding he deserves the glory and is your focus on him for the honor. In verse eight, the first part, it says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Thomas struggled with this until I see the nail prints, until I see the, and in, in verses 28 and 29 of John 20, it says, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Though you have not seen me, you love me. That's our hope. Understanding who Jesus is and what he did and we love him. We love him because he first loved us, the Bible says. The next part in verse eight says, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Once again, he's like, I, I, I can't even explain it to you. It, it's inexpressible. What God has done when I get into the journey, when I'm on the hard thing, I don't understand it because it's Christ in me, the hope of glory. There's not even words that I can explain. The triumphant promise delivered verse nine, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of our souls. There it is. Obtaining the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Salvation that started when Christ took you from death to life, when you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, that salvation, but the salvation that is still to come when we stand before God. And he says, why should I let you in my heaven? And my answer is because of the Lord Jesus Christ, because of what he has done for me. And then the salvation that I have with him for eternity. That's what we have coming. That's the hope we have as followers of Jesus Christ, the Lord. In John chapter three, verses two and three. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we'll be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Well, so what? So what? The text goes on and um, it, it talks about um, the prophets and it talks about the angels. Um, verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully and inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the suffering of Christ and his subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. 
So the prophets, they're writing all these things. All the things that Isaiah is writing about the Lord Jesus Christ and how he's going to come and how he's going to die. All of those things they're writing and carefully examining and wondering and not understand. They're writing all these things about a grace that they couldn't fully understand. They're predicting a suffering Savior that they could not fully comprehend. And it says right in the text, they weren't serving themselves ultimately, but they were serving us who heard the gospel preached to us by the Holy Spirit, and our lives were changed. Things that the angels had watched from before time They watched in creation and they saw the fall and they saw the sacrifices and they heard the prophecies and they're watching and they're trying to understand and see it all and they see Jesus Christ come and they see Jesus Christ die and they see him risen again. They understand the coming of the Holy Spirit. The angels have been watching and seeing and amazed at what God is doing. God help us. God help us to have that kind of a passion to look and see and understand and want and live out for the fame of the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. The rock won't move because we trust in an awesome God. And whatever we go through, we're not going to go through it alone, but we choose to rejoice in that we get to live out our lives for the fame of Jesus Christ and the triumph that is coming in him, through him, for him, for eternity. In Jesus Christ, our Lord, let's pray. Lord God, this is your word and we thank you for it. We thank you for Peter and what he has written, the clarity of it, the foundational piece in your awesomeness as an almighty God, born again, living hope, the guarding, the caring, so that we go through the journey as we go through the hard thing. You're not going to leave us, and you're not going to forsake us, and you're going to do a work in us that day after day we will put our head on our pillow and say, look what the Lord has done, because I could not do that. Father, be our helper. God, you are the rock that will not move. Give us the courage, the boldness, the passion to trust in that rock, the Lord Jesus Christ, to never forget what he has done for us, in us, what you're doing through us, and what you will continue to do, Father, as we live out for the fame of your name, looking forward to that day when we hear well done, good and faithful servant. Do your work in your way in our lives for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.